Okay, we are going through Mark's gospel. Just by way of review, Jesus came proclaiming the gospel. The gospel, according to Jesus, is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And what is the kingdom of heaven? Well, the most basic definition is it's God's reign that breaks into chaos, bringing shalom. In the first instance that we we read of this in the biblical story is really at creation, because according to Genesis 1, contrary to what I learned in seminary, God did not create the world out of nothing. Genesis 1 wants us to know that there is a something, and that something is the tohu vevohu. That's how it's described. Tohu vevohu is this churning mass of emptiness, disorder, meaninglessness. You could sum it up in one word. And when God spoke, his reign, his rule, entered the chaos and brought about order, harmony, beauty, that is the kingdom of heaven. And Mark's gospel is so dialed into this aspect of Jesus. He skips right over the birth narrative and, and all of those things. He gets right to Jesus announcing, it's here. The kingdom of heaven has come. God's reign, which once broke out in creation, is breaking out again, bringing new creation, entering the chaos, bringing about shalom. And I think we've seen already in Mark's gospel the unstoppable force that the kingdom is. The lame walk, the deaf hear, the blind see, the lepers are cleansed. Last week, wow, that was amazing how how the strong man is bound, how he's kicked out, thrown out of the house. And I'll tell you, that was powerful. Especially as Jason described the strong man in his own life. And how the kingdom of heaven, how Jesus broke in and, and, and just kicked it all out. Um, the strong man is not Rome. It's something far more powerful. It's the powers and the principalities of this dark world. And that house, from where the strong man is kicked out, it's you. It's me. God wants to make his home in us. And disciples and people who surrender their lives to the king of this kingdom and follow him in obedience. So let's turn our Bibles now to Mark chapter 4. Pivotal chapter in Mark's gospel. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. And again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat. He sat in it and he sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. That is just a fun thing to imagine. (laughs) He taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching, he said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, but the birds came up and ate it. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up and the plants were scorched, They withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear fruit. 
Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, 60, even 100 times. That's what we just heard, didn't we, from Wayman? Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parable. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything that is said in, is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How will you understand any parable? The, fa- the farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes it away, the word that was sown in them. Others like seed sown on rocky places. They hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution come, because of the word, they quickly fall away. And still others, like seeds sown among thorns, they hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. But others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, 60, some 100 times what was sown. This is God's word. You can be seated. Jesus is a teacher. <laughs> I don't know how, how many of us think of him in that way. But he's not just a teacher. He's the best. I mean, you can already get the sense in, in, in verse 1. Uh, I've been on the shore of Galilee uh, in the vicinity, of course, where, where this story took, takes place. I can just envision literally thousands of people gathered on that shore Jesus is so crowded that as they're on the shore, he just goes into a little boat. And from that boat, he teaches everybody. Verse 2 says that he taught them many things by parables. I don't know if you know this, but but teaching in parables is not something that's unique to Jesus. Uh, This is a common teaching technique of the the rabbis of Jesus' day. I was amazed kind of uh, when I studied in Jerusalem several years ago, I took a class called Parables that was taught by a Jewish rabbi. And I mean, I, I was amazed to find out that in the rabbinic literature today, there are thousands of rabbinic parables that go back to the time of Jesus. Let me just say a few things about parables because one third of Jesus' teaching is through this technique of parable. First, a parable is not meant to confuse. And I think some of us think because of even verses 11 and 12 in our text that that parables are this coded language for only the insider to understand, but to everyone else, it, it was just something that went over their head. It's actually just the opposite. The parable is actually for the person who doesn't get it. 
Jesus actually uses parables for people who don't understand to make his teaching clear. He's not teaching thousands of people to play this game with them of, well, just the insiders are here that are going to get it, but to the rest of you, I'm just going to kind of fool you. Along with this, don't think of a parable as, well, the Bible is, is, is boring, so I'm going to just tell a story. P- parables. Every detail of, of each parable is rooted in the text and doing commentary on the text. And I, I couldn't even begin to show you how all the details of, of this parable that we're looking at today are already, doing, are already rooted in the text. And Jesus is doing this brilliant thoughtful commentary on it. Because I want to go for the thing that the real intent behind a parable and why Jesus uses them. Parables are intended to drive an audience into a live drama. Jesus then, as he tells the story, wants us to find our place in this drama where we start to think within. He's talking about me. I'm the rocky soil. I'm the prodigal son. I'm the Pharisee who went to temple to worship and looked around and said, I thank you, God, that I'm not like all those people. Because the real goal behind a parable is to force the hearer to respond, to make a choice, to make a passionate commitment on what they hear, to repent. And this is why one of Jesus' favorite idioms, which is also found in in ours today, he ends the parable with this, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Or sometimes he says it this way, you have eyes, but you don't see. You have ears, but you don't hear. Now that sounds strange to us, but in Jewish thought, seeing and hearing actually have two dimensions. The first scene is, do you understand the concept? The second uh, scene is, has it changed you? The first hearing, have you heard? Have you made sense of it? The second hearing, has it changed your heart and how you live? I mean, we get this in Hero Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, which we call Shema. Uh, Shema in, in, in Hebrew has two dimensions. The first dimension is it means to hear. But the second dimension is, is, is it means to obey. Obey, O Israel. The Lord is your God, the Lord alone. Remember what Jesus is going for. He's going for repentance. For people to make this passionate commitment. Because here's the deal. Being a disciple is not just learning what Jesus knows. It's becoming all that Jesus is. And 12 disciples people who have become like Jesus can change the world. 
So with Jesus, it's just never enough to see. His teaching is more than theoretical. He wants us to see and then to see. He wants us to hear and then to hear. He wants this to go deep into our hearts, changing who we are and how we live our lives. I'd say this is one of my biggest uh, critiques of the 21st century Christian today in America is we have a tendency to spend so much time in trying to get people to see, but we never put the bite uh, to get people to see and to see, to hear and to hear. And I know some of us sometimes get uptight about altar calls or, or people making commitments, but I'm telling you, Jesus was making altar calls almost every time he taught because his teaching forced people to make a decision, to make a commitment to repent. And this is why over and over in the Gospels, you read things like, and, and this person went away sad. Or this group went away grumbling. Or sometimes they say, boy, that was a difficult teaching. It wasn't difficult in that it was difficult to understand, but it was difficult in living it out. So as we look at, my, at this parable today, here's, here's the question. Will we hear and hear? What we see and see. So let's look at this parable. First question you need to ask of any parable, it's not in this parable, but almost every other parable, Jesus begins with these words, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like a man uh, with a treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like a father with two sons. The kingdom of heaven is like a woman with uh, three measures of grain. So we have to ask ourselves, what does this parable teach us about the kingdom of heaven? Well, the kingdom of heaven here is depicted as seed. Seed that is sown in the ground. And we're going to look at this more next week because this theme of seed is going to continue. But for, but for starters right now, we need to understand that the kingdom of heaven is organic. And what do I mean by Organic. It's not top-down, it's bottom-up. It's not institutional and organizational. It's not outside-in, it's inside-out. It's not this static thing, it's this dynamic, pulsating movement. It's not confined to a building or to a specific time in the week or to specific people that we might call clergy. Organic means that there's movement, that there's growth, that there's constant change. Now this parable essentially tells us there are two things that are absolutely necessary for the kingdom of heaven to be planted and to ignite this life-giving, fruit-bearing power in our lives. These are the two things it needs. You need seed, and you need good soil. And when these two things come together, you get verse 8. You get fruit 30, 60, 100 times. So let's just start with, with, with seed. 
think about seed. I mean, I know there's all different shapes and sizes of seed, but, but for the most part, seed is very small. It, it, it conjectures something that's almost powerless. But be careful, because on my wedding day, I had an experience with seed. Um, after the wedding, <laughs> just got out of my tuxedo and was, oh, no, no, not yet. I was going to the place where I was going to get out of my tuxedo. I'm just exiting the church, and this is at a time when people would throw bird seed. You know, toss bird seed like this. Well, my friends from college, I don't know, was this payback time or what? I mean, these guys are just chucking it. And one guy in particular, it was like he was trying to kill me with how hard he was throwing it. <laughs> exactly. Some of you have this experience. I, uh, I got to uh, the room. I just said, Libby, Libby, something's not right. There's something in my ear. To make a long story short, I went to the emergency room <laughs> Four seed came out of my ear. And, the, and the, the, the physician said, he's like, it is a very good thing you came because, believe it or not, the ear is perfect warmth and moisture for that seed to germinate. <laughs> Seed has enormous power. And I know even in verse 8, as Jesus is talking about, about its ability to produce fruit, but come on, 30, 60, 100 times? I mean, Jesus' audience is thinking to themselves, are you kidding me? No farmer can produce that. but it can produce massive amounts of life. And what is the tiny seed? Verse 14, Jesus says, it's the word of God. Then go back with me to creation. I mean, just think about the power of the seed at creation, how the seed just fell into the tohu vevohu, the chaos, and it turned all of that chaos into a beautiful garden. That's how potent the seed is. Or someone like Peter gets more personal. In, in, in 1 Peter 1, Peter says this, he says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, their glory is like the flowers of the field, the grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And again, Peter's saying the same thing. The imperishable seed is the word of God. It's, it's that word that is planted in us and, and so thoroughly does the work of new creation that the only way Peter can describe it is by using the word born again. There's no kingdom of God. There's no movement of God. There's no power of God. There's no life of God without the word of God. Then why is it so easy for us today to settle for counterfeit seeds. Even just a sermon. 
or books, study materials. I, I mean, these things can be helpful. But there is no substitute for the very word of God. When you think about what God says to his people after he fed them with manna all those years. And by the way, I don't, I don't, I don't know what you think about when you think about manna, but, but manna, the way the Psalms describes manna, it's literally food from another stratosphere. It's food from heaven itself. That's what God rained down on his people. He rained down angel food, the food that angels eat. And God says, I fed you these 40 years manna to teach you that you do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from my mouth. And God's word is the manna. It is that food literally from another stratosphere. It's, it's, it's food from heaven. It's, it's literally food, food from the mouth of God. Have you tasted it? Have you eaten it? Right now, do you personally know the power of the seed? Do you know that, that, that for the kingdom of, of God to, to take root, to germinate, to grow, and to bear fruit, that it has to be planted? It needs to go deep into your heart on a daily basis. Manna was daily. This was a hard but good sermon for me to prepare for this week. I mean, God really smoked me. I've drifted from daily. And I can feel it. From world news, from all that's going on, trying to keep up on it all, trying to figure it all out, to all the busyness and distractions in my life. And I'll tell you how this drifting affects, affects me. It affects my love, it affects my joy, it affects my peace, it affects my patience, it affects my kindness, it affects my goodness, my self-control. It's all lacking. All the fruits of the Spirit uh, are diminished. And God had a fun time this week in my heart. Just saying, Rod, <laughs> you're distracted by many things. Just lay it down. Only one thing, only one thing is needed. Sit at my feet. Take me in. Be saturated in me. And I know the power of the seed. It's the very power and, and, and presence of God. And I know that there is at least one person today who needs this sermon. <laughs> it's me. Do you personally know the power of the seed? But as powerful as, as the seed is, according to this parable, it still requires the right kind of soil. This caused me to reflect on my upbringing um, Many of you know this. I grew up in a Dutch farming community. Um, I had the privilege of spending five years of my life in farming, uh, my teenage years. 
uh, were, were spent in what we called muck fields, uh, onions, mainly celery uh, were the things that, uh, that I worked in. And, and the lessons that I lear- learned in farming are priceless. I'm so grateful that my dad uh, forced me into that because I never would have chosen that for myself. But you have no idea how a farmer just obsesses with his soil. I mean, that topsoil is everything to a farmer. From sunrise to sundown, a farmer is caring for that soil, watering it, cultivating it, preparing it, nurturing it, weeding it. The soil is everything to the farmer. What is the soil in this parable? It's our heart. See, and, and it's at this point in the parable where Jesus is hoping that you're asking, what kind of soil is my heart providing the seed? What is the condition of your heart? Because for the word of God and the kingdom of God, the gospel of God, the Christ of God to be ignited and unleashed in and through your life, It's all about the soil. And the first three examples of soil that Jesus provides in this parable um, all have one thing in common. Uh, The seed of the kingdom doesn't go deep enough. And again, this is not a problem with the seed. This is a problem with the soil. It's a heart problem. So you take the first soil in verse 15, and I'm so glad the the disciples didn't get this or we wouldn't get Jesus' explanation. But uh, the, the soil of the hard path, the seed falls on the path, it never gets into the soil and germinates, it's wasted, the birds come along, this becomes easy prey for Satan. And this is simply a person who has a hard, unreceptive heart. The seed never gets in. In my opinion, this is some scary stuff to consider because this means that this is a person who can be in proximity to the seed. In fact, the seed can be regularly scattered upon their lives. I mean, all their life, they can hear it, they can read it, they can be around it, but it's all in vain because the seed was never planted in the heart. As Randy Heckman used to say, he liked to say six inches is all that separates heaven from hell. Right here, from here to here. If the seed never goes into one's Heart, if it just remains in a person's mind, they see, but they don't see. They hear, but they don't hear. The second soil, verse 17, is rocky. And Jesus says, initially, this is a person who receives the word with great joy, but it soon dies off because it has no root. And again, same problem. It just doesn't go deep enough. It might have made it into their thoughts. It might have even made it into their emotions, but it never made it into the heart. And the reason for this, Jesus says, is because of the rocks. And then Jesus spells out the rocks. He says the rocks are the hard times and persecution. 
This is a person who is into the blessings of Jesus, but not the demands of Jesus. And here's what every farmer will tell you. The soil is always churning up rocks. We will all have rocks. We will all have difficult, painful times, especially a Christ follower. But see, here's what, what, what those rocks do, what pain and persecution do. They actually reveal the condition of the soil. They, they, they reveal what's in a person's heart. Because when I suffer, I get to truly see my heart. And we find out in a real hurry, are we into Jesus for our sake or are we into Jesus for Jesus' sake? Because Jesus never said, if you follow me, your life is going to become easy and pain-free. In fact, he said quite the contrary. He says, come after me, take up your cross. We will all have our cross to bear. And I've seen it, especially through the last two years, Christians are bailing. And why are they bailing? A lot of them, it's because of the rocks. This week I visited uh, Grant Brookhouse. You can't even imagine what they have been through and what they are going through even right now. I'm in a place where, where I get their updates. And every one of their updates just blows me away. But they are living this moment by moment, minute by minute, hour by hour. And their grand is all hooked up, has hardly eaten any food except for what's going into his body through these tubes. So hungry. And there's Rachel, there's Grant's dad. Grant, Grant's dad doesn't even know. I talked with him for at least a half hour before I even got up to the room. Every word that came out of his mouth inspired me. Put Jesus on display. You read everything that Rachel writes. It's like my mother-in-law said this week. She said, boy, in, in all the hopelessness of, of our world, to, to hear what Rachel says gives so much hope. And there's such a long list of people in our church that I could say are going through similar situations and are responding in similar, similar ways. I remember uh, those days, I mean, at the start of, uh, of planting season, you'd have to get the soil ready. And it seems like in that off season, uh, the soil would churn up a lot more rocks. And there'd be some rocks so big that it would take three or four people to carry out of that field. It takes community with these rocks to carry them, to shoulder them together.
Third soil. Jesus describes as thorn infested, and this is a person who receives the word. It actually takes root. It even bears a little bit fruit, but that's only for a short season because soon it is choked. And what chokes it are the thorns. And what are the thorns? Jesus tells us in verse 19. He says, the thorns are the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things. And that, my friends, is the world. And all the world's idols that are propped before us every single day that seduce our hearts. And nothing will stunt our growth or choke out the kingdom more than living for the world. When we just get sucked in, sucked into the stuff of the world, the wealth of the world, the worries of the world, it chokes the seed. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now the fourth soil Jesus describes as good. This is the person who receives the word The word goes deep into the soil. And in that place, it germinates. And the power of that seed is unleashed, causing it to bear enormous amounts of fruit, the fruit of the kingdom of God, the fruit of a transformed life that is about bringing transformation to others and to the world. Is this you? And I love what Luke, in his version of this, he gives us one more descriptor about the good soil from Jesus, uh, where, where Jesus says, the good soil is a good and noble heart. It's a heart that hears and hears, that sees and sees. It's a heart that repents. This is the main point of the parable. Seed plus a good heart is all that's needed for enormous, enormous fruit. So this is the point in the parable where where Jesus is hoping we're, we're all asking, what kind of soil are we? Because the issue is not the sower, the issue is not the seed, it's not the pastor, it's not the message, the issue is our heart. Do I have a good heart? I can go to seminary, I can read God's word backwards and forwards, I can memorize even every single word of it, but I can still see and not see. I can still hear and not hear. So how do I become good soil? How do we become good soil? And I think this is why Jesus interjects Mark uh, verses 11 and 12, which is actually a quote from Isaiah, Isaiah 6 into the text. Where it says, they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. I mean, this is a text, Isaiah 6, 
Everyone in Jesus' audience knew this text. I mean, this is, this is a time when, when Israel can see, but they can't see. Where, where they hear, but they can't hear. In fact, uh, Isaiah further describes Israel's problem in, in Isaiah 29, verse 13, where he says, uh, These people come near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips. <laughs> they gather, they sing songs, they conduct church services but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on human tradition that they have been taught. And going back to Isaiah 6, Isaiah 6 isn't about just uh, God saying they see but they can't see, they, they hear but they can't hear, and if they turn, their hearts will be healed. Uh, but, but right before that is Isaiah's uh, encounter with the living God where he says, uh, I saw the Lord. I saw him seated high and exalted, seated on a throne. The train of his robe filled the temple and the seraph, the angels were all around him, covering their eyes and their feet and crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah's response to all this, it's not, yes, it's woe is me. I'm ruined, I'm undone. I'm unclean, for my eyes have seen the king. Have you seen him? Because this is how we get a good heart. We must see the king. God, open the eyes of my heart. Let me see you. And not only must we see the king, but in seeing the king, we must see our great, great need for this king. Like Isaiah, uh, Isaiah sees his need. I'm undone. I am ruined. I am, I'm unclean. I have a thorn-infested heart. God, help me. And then we have to see what the king has done for us. By the way, who did Isaiah see? When he says, I saw the Lord. Well, John's gospel does commentary on this. And in John 12, verse 40, where he also quotes this Isaiah 6, 9 text, uh, after that, John says, for Isaiah saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Isaiah didn't just see the Lord, he saw Christ. And he didn't just see Christ, and this is really Dan Mike's to preach because he gave me this profound insight. Isaiah and Isaiah 6, when he says, I saw the Lord high and exalted, he saw Christ crucified. Because it's Isaiah who gives us Isaiah 53. And by his wounds, we'll be healed. 
And here is God looking down on his people and saying to to his prophet Isaiah, they hear, but they don't hear. They see, but they don't see. But then later in Isaiah, in Isaiah 29, verse 14, God says, but I will astound them. And how does God astound them? He's the sower. And he sows extravagantly, almost recklessly. I mean, we could call this parable, Jesus just taught the parable of the prodigal sower because prodigal means to be wasteful. He is sowing in places that no farmer would ever sow. He's sowing on the path. He's sowing on the rocks. He's throwing seed everywhere. That's astounding. But even more astounding is who Jesus is in this parable. He's not just the sower who sows the word. He is the seed. He is the word. In the beginning was the word. And just think about seed. Seed on its own is weak. It's practically powerless. Though think about it. God in Jesus, he didn't become a sword. He didn't become a hammer. He didn't become a consuming fire. But as we're going to learn again next week, He became a tiny seed, a seed that on its own is weak and powerless, but when that seed goes into the ground and when it dies, its force is unleashed and it bears fruit, the fruit of the kingdom. And think about what Jesus says right before he dies. He says, the hour has come for my glory. Truly, I tell you, unless the seed goes in the ground, it's just a tiny seed, but if it goes deep in the ground and dies... It will bear much fruit. Jesus did that for us. Everything that Isaiah saw, he did it. And this is the force of the seed. As the hymn writer said, love so amazing, so divine, it demands my soul, my life, my all. What kind of soil are you providing the seed? Because good soil plus good seed, God's word plus repentance are all that's needed for the kingdom to explode in an enormous life-giving way. He was ears to ear. Let him hear. God, give us eyes to see. We can say, My eyes have seen him. And in seeing you, we can see ourselves. And in seeing ourselves, we can see what you've done for us. Causing us to not just see, but to see and to see. And not just hear, but to hear and to hear. And God, only you can cause our hearts to repent. We pray for all of this in Jesus' name.